Welcome to the Matt Hummer Podcast, episode 98. Uh, a quick apology for the end of last week. It kind of cut out a little uh, abruptly, shall we say. Uh, just uh, kind of, I think we were in the middle of talking about... Uh, Gardens. Fl- yeah, flower puns. And then it just kind of cut me dead at the end of my hilarious joke. Uh, the memory card actually cut out on us and we couldn't um, work out a way to carry on recording on it. So we just had to kind of stop it there. Uh, so if you're wondering what was going on, you basically missed us saying goodbye. So goodbye. Uh, goodbye. That's all you missed. But we're back. So it's fine. Uh, I'm Mel. With me is L. as always. How you doing, L? am good, thanks. I'm feeling a bit hyperactive on chocolate. Oh, for God's sake. Good. How are you? Let's carry it into the into this wonderful new week of podcasting. I'm good, you thank you. I'm all right. Yeah, solid. Feel like I'm I'm kind of. I mean, we're on deadlines. I think once this next print deadline gets out of the way, I feel like we're kind of properly settled into January now. Do you feel like you're in the 2020 groove? A little bit, yeah. It good. kind of feel like when you work on a magazine, um, whether it's a weekly or a monthly or a daily or whatever, like you pretty much. Like, you don't really get that nice settling in period at the start of a year because you have a bit of time off into Christmas and then you always come back and it's like, fuck, we've got 10 days to do this and we normally have three weeks. Ah, um, So it's always a bit hectic. But I think once we've got this next deadline out of the way, it's going to be good times ahead, baby. And it's a good issue as well. Could be very excited to unveil that. Yeah. But that's for then. This is for now. Uh, the latest issue of Metal Hammer is in fact out now. That is our first issue of 2020. Four amazing cover artists on there. Merc here, Parkway Drive, Devin Townsend, King Diamond. Uh, four bands that really represent the vast and excellent spectrum that is heavy metal in 2020. All with exclusive brand new interviews about what they've got coming up in the year ahead. Uh, and if you go to tinyurl.com forward slash buy hammer, uh, we've got exclusive bundles with each and every one of those artists right now that you can go and buy. They're all awesome. Um, I just off the top of my head, we've got a Devin Townsend bundle that comes with a signed lyric sheet signed by the man himself and an exclusive uh, Ziltoid collector cup that we actually got sent to the office to have a look at before we sent them onto the warehouse to get delivered to you guys. They are absolutely awesome. I was very annoyed I couldn't get away with nicking one. Um, I've got a bit of a thing about cups but yeah that's really cool uh, we've got a Merkier bundle that's got a, a signed photo that she signed and a exclusive patch uh, we've got a King Diamond bundle that comes with an exclusive patch a Parkway Drive bundle that comes with a signed lyric sheet and a really cool little Parkway Drive badge set um, they all come with uh, individual art prints as well of each band and they all come with exclusive covers uh, of the magazine that they come with Uh, So yeah, all really awesome. Uh, You won't be able to get these bundles and those merch items anywhere else. So go to tinyurl.com forward slash buy hammer now to pick them up. They will not last. They never do. (sighs) Right. Kicking off this week. (laughs) Yeah, I was just taking a breather before we kicked into the next bit Breathe that sweet, fresh air into your lungs. Practicing my mindfulness. Mm, Be in the moment. Uh, starting this week with some shit news. Um, legendary Rush drummer Neil Peart died last week after a battle with brain cancer. Um, he was only 67 years old. Um, even if you're not a Rush fan or you're not quite so familiar with Rush's work, uh, Neil Peart, un- undeniably uh, one of the single most influential drummers in the history of rock music and heavy music. So many great metal bands and metal drummers specifically were influenced by him. Um, If you go over to www.metalhammer.com right now, you can read more about his amazing career with Rush, uh, as well as lots of tributes that have flooded in from across the rock and metal world. I mean, when you look at the names that have been paying tribute, you can just see what an influence he was. You've got people like Metallica, Kiss, Foo Fighters, King Diamond, Black Sabbath, Anthrax, Korn, Judas Priest, Guns N' Roses. Uh, He really was an icon. So um, if you want to learn more about his life and his work, head to metalhammer.com now. Uh, and you can read more about um, all the stuff that Neil did in his career. Uh, in more positive news, we've had the first band announcement for Knotfest. Merlin, who is it? It's going to blow your mind out. Is it? It's Slipknot. <gasps> what? Who could have seen it coming? What the Who fuck? could have seen it coming? They've just uh, debuted their first set list of the decade, actually. Uh, they played Ireland uh, last night, um, the first stop on, the, uh, on their current European tour, which, of course, comes through the UK over the next couple of weeks. Uh, very interesting set list choices on there once again head to the website mohammed.com to check those out um, but yeah Slipknot are officially playing Knotfest we kind of suspected that might happen Yeah, uh, tickets are on sale right now as long as you're listening to this from Thursday onwards uh, Knotfest takes place excuse me 
August 22nd at the Milton Keynes Bar. And we had, we had a bit of a kind of fantasy booking session for NotFest the other week, didn't we, on the, uh, we did. the big 2020 preview. Absolutely fascinated to see uh, not only what bands play NotFest, but also um, all the crazy shit they're presumably going to be having on site. I'm so happy we have Slipknot and that they're still a thing and making good music and touring and doing bigger and better things with NotFest. It's so cool. It's so exciting. Yeah, it's great. And it's just... It's the fact that it's happened for a band like that as well just never ceases to blow my mind. I think all the time about what really were the odds of a band made up of nine guys in boiler suits and masks eventually be able to film it on King's Bar with their own festival. It's just insane. Sniffing dead frozen jars. I know. Also, I've got to say... I'm very happy that the Milton Keynes Bowl is definitely a thing again. I can't remember yeah. if I said this already, but that was like a, a kind of like standard festival venue that people would go to every summer for different things when I was growing up. You had like an Ozfest there. Um, you had, I think ACDC played there. Um, my mind's suddenly gone blank and only for other stuff. But it was the kind of place that gigs were always happening. Um, so it's interesting that it's kind of suddenly sprung up again. Um, I saw My Chemical Romance are rumoured to be playing it. That's something that everyone was talking about on Twitter. We have no idea, by the way. We don't really deal with MCR a whole lot, but there was a lot of rumours that they might be doing something at the Milton Keynes Bowl as well. So that'll be interesting if you're into that kind of thing. What else has been going on in Festival World? Some bits and bobs? Got some more bands announced for Bloodstock. Yes, come on. It's a great lineup, actually. We have got added to the bill Hatebreed, Buried Tomorrow, Silosis. Toxic Holocaust, Winter Filleth, Exhumed, and Necrot. And Hatebreed are headlining the Sophie stage. That's going to be fucking crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Hatebreed on the Sophie stage. Yeah. Like, if you haven't been to Bloodstock, by the way, why not? Go to Bloodstock. It's great. Uh, the Sophie stage is, uh, is a, I mean, it's not a small stage, but it's a tented stage. And the Sophie headliners tend to go on uh, kind of, kind of during or slightly after the main stage headliners play, I think. That's definitely what Watain did when they played. I don't think they tend to clash. But anyway, wherever you are on the site that day that they're playing, you should sneak in and watch some of Hatebreed um, because uh, that will be fucking unbelievable. I can't wait. Yeah, that will be carnage. Uh, and yeah, so yeah, it's an interesting lineup overall, isn't it? Barry Tomorrow doing Bloodstock. That's, yeah. a cool, that's a cool billing. It is cool. And we've spoken before in the past as well about sort of less quote-unquote metal bands sneaking in. Obviously, Barry Tomorrow are a metal band, but their metal core which traditionally hasn't always gone down with traditional metal fans but they're a really great live band and i think now we've had bands playing bloodstock like skindred partway drive etc hopefully people are a bit more open-minded and we'll just take that as you know just accept it as part of the whole lineup and have a good time yeah definitely i mean whenever i've seen Barry tomorrow absolutely smash it is when it felt like they've got something to prove oh, i yeah. mentioned before that um one of the early times I saw them was coming on right after Crossfaith at Warped Tour and Crossfaith had just completely torn the house apart. And I, and I, you know, I love Barry Tomorrow, but I remember thinking, they haven't got a fucking chance here. And they absolutely killed it. They're like one of the um, ultimate bands that always feel like they have something to prove. Yeah, definitely. I think no matter how much success they have, they'll always feel like they have something to prove. And, and yeah, that's, that energy kind of comes out. Yeah, I think it'll be great. They're they're a fucking great band. And to be honest, I didn't see much in the way of any negativity towards the media, which is good. Yeah. I think, you know, if we want festivals like Bloodstock to continue thriving, they do need to diversify a bit and they need to be open to to other types of metal other than, you know, the, the more traditionally obvious choices. And I think Barry Tomorrow will, will do great. Silosis back on the, the, um, the circuit again is great to see. Uh, obviously, you know, Winter Filleth kind of, modern day British extreme metal royalty. There's just loads of good shit going on. It's going to be a great lineup. Um, it's that time of year again, Elle. It is that time of year again. The weird time of year. The weird time of year when we all sit and moan about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, like you said, it's a regular fixture now. And I'm always, I mean, do you want to just go through first what the situation is? So, yes. So, um, basically, uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 2020 has been announced. Uh, and among the, uh, oh no, that's the full, yeah, sorry, the full list of inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year runs as follows. Nine Inch Nails, Depeche Mode, T-Rex, the Doobie Brothers, the Notorious B.I.G. and Whitney Houston. Now, initially, you look at that and you think, cool, Nine Inch Nails, Depeche Mode in the fucking Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's awesome. Like, they deserve to be there. Seminal bands, very important. 
Um, you probably wouldn't argue that in the grand scheme of things, they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. However, uh, they have come, uh, they have basically been inducted. Um, what am I trying to say? Them being inducted basically means that, amongst uh, others, nominees including Motorhead, Judas Priest, Thin Lizzy and Soundgarden didn't make it in. And these, this is coming off the back of things like um, there was a public vote put forward uh, to kind of give the fans a voice in the whole thing. That largely theme seems to have not made a difference because as far as I'm aware, Nine Inch Nails were nowhere near the top of that poll. I actually completely missed the public vote thing because I think we've talked about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame before and how weird and kind of obtuse it is. And I know they've got a panel of nominees, but I didn't know about the public vote. Did the public vote count towards like a certain percentage was it just something to survey the public like do you have any idea about how that contributed to the outcome at all well uh not a lot basically uh, as far as i'm aware soundgarden got 722,931 fan votes to uh to be put in the the hall of fame um judas priest got 675,434 fan votes um, and apparently, according to a couple of different sources I've read, uh, mainly American sites who tend to be a bit more uh, educated on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame than we are, um, all those votes only counted for one vote each in the overall actual tally because it's all kind of voted for by different parties and, and experts and uh, I just previous counted up the panel, kind of actually. So I've got the panel up for 2019, which I presume is the panel that did these... Um, that made the decisions on these 2020 artists. I presume that's the case, but I'm not 100%. Mm. But there's 29 names on there. And the ones that stand out as being relevant to our world are Tom Morello. He's on there. Mm -hmm. Dave Grohl. And Cliff Bernstein from Q Prime, who was obviously was Metallica's manager, wasn't he, back in the day? Am I right in thinking that? Q Prime and Metallica's management. Company, yeah. yeah. So, um, but he was like with them from the beginning. So he's obviously one of these like legendary industry figures um and then there's david frick who i think is rolling stone person and then apart from that i'd have to google them all because they're all american don't, don't you get american a vote record label people. don't you get a vote if and you i thought you got a vote if you get put in the hall of fame though do you or have i made that up i don't know this is oh, we need bugger. to do some more anyway research. the point is that the whole the whole thing is you know clearly uh not us a, a very refined or well-filtered pro um, process because um as i said soundgarden uh you know over seven hundred thousand fans voted for that judas priest nearly seven hundred thousand fans voted for them and now i'm not saying you can just go on these things because as we know votes voting online can be a bit of a funny thing and you know all sorts of strange things can happen when you leave it up to that. But Nine Inch Nails, obviously an iconic band, received more around the 400,000 mark. Um, they didn't even make the main kind of shortlist. Um, so basically what it all comes down to is that the whole system doesn't really make any sense. And this whole idea of letting the fans have some kind of say in it doesn't really seem to actually amount to much. Uh, as I say, I don't think anyone is going to argue with the likes of Nine Inch Nails, Depeche Mode, T-Rex, etc., being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think Notorious B.I.G. being in there is really cool as well. Um, but the idea that they should, for some reason, get in before Motorhead and before Judas Priest and Thin Lizzy and Sound... Well, no, Soundgarden, I guess, is kind of a similar era. But certainly Motorhead, Judas Priest and Thin Lizzy not being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but Nine Inch Nails being in there is weird at this juncture. It's just the, what's the what's the thinking behind it? I don't get it. It's such a weird nebulous thing because the foundation and the museum in Cleveland were set up in 1985, and then they set up the panel who votes for everyone each year. But it's just it's a thing because everyone's decided it's a thing. It's mm -hmm. like if you get industry figures involved in something and you lift an organization up and you imbue it with lots of meaning then it has lots of meaning for people but really it's yeah like we just said it's a very there's a very confusing voting process and in terms of legitimacy it's just like how much legitimacy you give it and I read a nice interview actually with Rolling Stone with Trent Reznor about his nomination for Night Nails oh, yeah. and um he obviously uh, started making music in Cleveland and he was talking about how when he was growing up it was a big deal that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame were going to come to town and that it means something to him and that's really nice because obviously he has a personal 
connection to it and there's such a you know he's such a brilliant musician and he's made Nice Nails such a fantastic unit whatever musicians are in it that I'm really pleased for him that you know this is happening but it's just a very strange thing really the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame I think for us being distanced from the states doesn't really mean that much to us Mm. but in America and perhaps on a global scale it's a very well-known name isn't it so it was still a very big deal and a big privilege to be inducted into it but if you kind of step back and look at it it's sort of an arbitrary organization that some people set up where they decided to decide who was most important but I don't know it's very weird (laughs) but I'm all for celebrating rock and roll because that's cool so yeah I think I think you're kind of right that initially there's a small number of people involved so there's a committee that I think there's a committee that selects the initial number of candidates up for nomination and then there's a there's kind of around a thousand um, wider people who get to vote in the overall process. The nominating committee and the fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame voting committee. Yeah, exactly. There's two committees. Um, But yeah, the whole thing, I mean, I guess it's just, it depends how how involved you want to be in it. I think it's a really cool thing. I think it's great to have something that celebrates music. So do I, Music should always be celebrated. But it's hard to, it is hard to justify. I mean, Motorhead, Judas Priest and Thin Lizzy, like, no, like nothing under the banner of heavy music anywhere would sound the way it does without those three bands. Yeah, so just random. none of it would, and it's just it's, it's strange. And I don't know it? what the criteria are because I know you have to. It has to be after twenty five years. Yeah. You know, I get that part of it, but that's when things become eligible. But then, do they get put in based on overall career achievements, contribute contributions to? the music industry, uh, sales, influence, what they've done that year. Like, I don't really know how it all stacks up, like whether there's an actual kind of criteria that they sit down with and sort of see who ticks the boxes or whether it's just kind of who people like more. I have no idea. It's just not transparent how it works. So it's, it's hard to quantify how these decisions are made. But like you said, I think it's really cool. There is an institution that actually celebrates rock and roll because that's an awesome thing. And getting musicians together every year for a big celebration and live performances is an awesome thing. It just feels a bit random not really knowing what this whole process is and being so far removed from it. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's very strange. Um, and I assume these, these names will all get in eventually. Maybe they feel like they need to space it out so there's always some bigger names getting in there every so often and all that kind of thing. But Yeah, or it could be politics, you know. It's just, who knows? Who knows? Maybe we'll never find out. <laughs> Maybe we never will. Maybe it's part of some kind of secret society that we don't know about. Mm. Like the Masons. Like the Maybe Masons. everyone has special rings. <laughs> I think That's probably, what you, you do, don't you? You, you, you do get a ring when you get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I think. Do you? I think so. Do you legit get a ring? I might have made that up. I kind of feel like you do. Maybe really? I'm, I might be thinking of the WWE Hall of Fame, actually, now <laughs> that I think about it. Maybe not. I wouldn't mind. Which is some. also strange and somewhat dubious in the way they choose people. I wouldn't mind so, some special metal jewellery. Can we get metal hammer rings? Metal hammer hall of fame. It'll be like the Simpsons where they have the magic power rings. We have metal hammer ones. We'll be like, yeah, metal. <laughs> That's it's Captain getting, Planet, mate. It's getting a bit nerdy now, but... <laughs> I like jewellery. Just saying. All right. Uh, this uh, We're going to do the album of the week now, which is a, a new thing we've introduced for this year. Every single week we will be reviewing an album of our, and sometimes your choice, um, and the album of the week this week is a really interesting one. It's a band we've done quite a bit of coverage on and we've supported quite a bit over the years. Um, and I think it's great that they're getting more attention in the wider scene now. Uh, they are a band called Chaotion and their new album is their self-titled records uh, coming out this Friday. Um, and it's a really fascinating band with a great story that, um, as I say, we've kind of covered a bit in the magazine and, and elsewhere over the years. They're, they're kind of based in the Netherlands, um, but they come that way by way of Lebanon uh and there's this kind of a story that we're kind of finding more and more of these stories across the world at the moment of bands that play metal or try to play metal in a country and in an environment where it's not just frowned upon to do so but it can actually be quite dangerous to do so it can be quite um politically uh, problematic to do so um and they've got a really cool story about how they uh have managed to kind of overcome a lot of that and um, and ended up relocating to the Netherlands so they could make the music they wanted to and, and live the lives that they wanted to. Um, and this is their new album that's out this Friday, as I said. 
Um, and they've basically been honing their craft over the last few years to become this really brilliant, kind of reliably good uh, death metal band. Um, kind of, I'd say, kind of a black and death vibe along the, I think kind of maybe a less refined behemoth, a little bit of a Watain vibe in there. They've got this kind of rumbling rock and roll that underpins a lot of their tracks like Watain do. Um, but yeah, they're a really interesting band and I think this album's fucking great. What did you think of it? Yeah, really cool. Um, it's got a really cool vibe. I think when you know the story behind it as well, it obviously does give it extra weight when you listen to the music. And I'd say it's sort of like behemoth times slayer in vibe is what I get from it. Um, it's just quite, I don't want to say brutal. It's difficult. I was going to say brutal, but it's not like just straight up pummeling it's got textures and layers yeah totally but, it's, but it is like a good heavy metal album you know mm. it, it is heavy yeah i mean i think like proper heavy metal is something that kind of underpins a lot of it like it like you say it's kind of it's pummeling and it's heavy but it's it's got that real kind of like almost catchy rocky kind of heavy metal vibe under it um and the main band is actually a duo it's it's guitarist anthony Kaution and vocalist valid wolf lust i don't think that's his real name uh, if it <laughs> Stop is being judgmental what a legend <laughs> um uh and this album for this album they roped in it's kind of become like almost like a mini half supergroup thing mm. because they brought in obscure bassists uh linus oh god i don't know how to say his surname because i'm an idiot lizard klaus and nitzer linus i think it would be okay linus, linus klaus nitzer yeah um and adrian from at the gates uh, i mean adrian lanson has been in so many great bands he's also drummed for cradle of filth the haunted paralyzed lost like a genuine institution of extreme metal um and actually i think adrian's drums are something that really do power this album mm. through uh he's constantly switching up between like blast beats and um like you know full-on endless again i'm going to use the word you use like pummeling drum patterns and this more kind of imperious driving sound um and uh, yeah what i really like about this album is i feel like every song in it really has its own flavor so kind of kind of blackened death is is maybe the the umbrella term you'd give it you'd give to it if you had to but i honestly think every song has got its own vibe going on um and it kicks off with walls of chaos which just explodes into life like tremolo riffing and um you know real like this track's almost kind of like a full-on black metal track if anything like spinning tornado of drums again courtesy of adrian um basically a really good black metal track with a couple of little deathy flourishes on there uh and it's got these kind of gorgeous galloping parts in the midsection that sound like iron maiden fed through a blender or something mm. just really cool like i said earlier like proper heavy metal vibes coming through it um there's other stuff on there as like like as well son of the east is a really cool song it's got this like slow melodic brooding intro that just kicks into this ferocious and again i don't know if this is adrian's influence i don't think it is but like this kind of at the gatesy style riff um son of the east kind of you know like i said where walls of chaos is more of a straight up black metal song son of the east sounds like more like the heavier side of melodic death metal i'd probably say um it's, it's got this like searing simplistic solo tacked onto the end that really elevates the song it's got a bit of behemoth vibe in that um my favorite song in the album is probably broken uh which is this really like urgent rolling rumbling riff that just builds and builds and builds all the way through and as the song carries on it just gets more urgent and more like the drums build up and up and up and it gets more epic and more crazy uh mr wolf lust as we shall now call him um <laughs> he mostly his, his vocals are interesting across this album actually because for a lot of it he does like more straight up screams and and death metal growls which he's really really good at um but that sometimes like on this track broken he kind of comes in with this like pained impassioned like shouting like Nurgle does on, on Behemoth albums. I know what you mean yeah. it's kind of like almost preachery kind of thing like deranged preacher yeah. kind of thing um, I think that sounds really cool and it, and it and it it kind of adds a bit of emotional resonance to the songs that you often maybe miss a little bit with with some of this stuff when it comes to the more extreme stuff um, Catharsis in Unison is really cool that's like this more kind of slow lumbering doomy song uh again very vocally interesting kind of less kind of screams and kind of um shouted lyrics more like kind of bellows and snarls and heavy breathing very atmospheric uh there's some synths that are thrown in there for a more orchestral moment as well which is cool um there's a track called gardens of midas which is like 
uh, My Death Story, which is like uh, really shows off Adrian's drumming again. It's just relentless battering ram of blast beats all the way through, which is great. Um, and then there's uh, the last song on that, I think it is. Um, it's called Acronante Movebo. Um, and it is a quote from uh, Virgil, who is a, is a first century Roman poet. Um, and it can be translated most literally as if I cannot deflect the superior powers, then I shall move the river. Uh, but more commonly, if I cannot bend the heavens, then I shall move the powers of hell, which I thought was cool. So fucking metal. Well, I just wanted to look up what it meant because I thought <laughs> that probably means something really deep that I don't know about. Um, so yeah. It's Say it again, if, I love it. If I cannot bend the heavens, then I shall move the powers of hell. So good. Uh, so yeah, it's just obviously a kind of real uh, call to arms in, ter in terms of blazing your own trail no matter what. Um, I love that. It's just the determination, isn't it? Like, yeah, exactly. You know, they've really pushed hard to make the music that they make and to get it out there. And you can hear the passion and the commitment and the drive in the songs. Yeah, And I just think that's a really cool s summary of you know it's good philosophy isn't it yeah definitely and, and again musically and not just musically but almost more atmospherically I, I keep going back to behemoth because like that track i mentioned acromant and movebo um uh it's, it's kind of quite a measured i don't want to say plodding number but kind of like driving imperious stomping song um and it's almost like like it's almost like monk chanty kind of stuff going on in places um that kind of imperious kind of quasi-religious undertone running through it but kind of inverted as, as a lot of these bands do very well um and yeah again it's just a song that that has its own flavor and its own and its own style and, and it all just fits into this really interesting uh dynamic uh varied extreme metal album i really really rate it and um i think if you're looking for something to to kind of uh vibe with you like some of those bands i've mentioned um then definitely check it out um as i say it's chaotion it's the self-titled album it's out this friday uh yeah very 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 good um there's also other stuff out this week of course um the new british lion album the burning that's out this week uh we were mulling over doing that for album of the week but i realized that i didn't um get my review stream refreshed in time so i didn't really have time to sit with it properly <laughs> um so professional now oh i know uh but i mean if you even you've, you've probably heard british lion chances are but it's a steve harris from iron maidens um kind of side band uh and uh if you like the idea of steve harris's um, unmistakable melodies and kind of galloping bass lines, but running through more of a, a rock and rolly uh, vibe than a, than a heavy metal one, then you'll definitely want to get on that. And you can read about them in the current issue of Metal Hammer. Yes, you can. Thank there you for reminding me. There is a me. feature with Steve Harris where you can learn all about where his head's at, what British Lion's all about, why it's been a little bit of a wait for the next record and uh, more Steve Harris-y stuff. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so that British Lion album, that's out this week. Uh, Anti-Flag have a new album out this week, 2020 Vision. Uh, I can see why they put it like that, gave it that title. Um, there's a new album. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a <laughs> Five Finger Death Punch all over again. Oh, yeah, and a lot of people <laughs> have, have pointed out to us after we talked about that album, actually, that um, it's their eighth album, which is probably what Fate is all about as well. Yeah, we so, know that. Did we not say that? I don't think we said Any that idiots. specifically on the oh, podcast. No. Okay. We've mentioned it in features Wrist and stuff. then, yeah. Uh, so yeah, thank you for pointing that out, lovely Metal Hammer readers and listeners. Um, <laughs> what else is out this week? Yeah, I'm from uh, Gargantua called Towards the Sun. That's a really cool kind of uh, melodic but still heavy doom album out on the impeccable Holy Raw uh, label. Can we just take a moment to appreciate their name? Oh yeah, Gargantua. But is it like, um, it sort of sounds like Ganja? That could be it. Maybe not, I don't know. <laughs> That's not what I thought when I listened when I listened to it, but I haven't really dug into the lyrics and stuff, maybe. Dunno. I mean Scrap that. You have to put cannabis leaves toward the sun, so <laughs> who knows what they're up to. I just thought it was a cool sounding metal name, but sure. Is, yeah. Let's go with that. Fuck it. They're all potheads. Uh, <laughs> probably. No, they're not. Uh, so yeah loads of good shit out this week but if we're going to recommend one thing we'd recommend the KRT on album so do go check that out if you have time let's take some reader questions from facebook.com forward slash metal readers shall we sure Rich Hobson who's one of our writers as well he asks which years stand out to you personally as being great for music what a good question thanks Rich thanks Rich um, 
Yeah, we went through the best decades, didn't we? And we kind of settled on 90s slash 2000s as being the best decades. Yeah, and we've done a whole the issue. Year. We've done a whole issue before on 1994. Yeah. When we had Machine Head on the cover. Well, yeah, I've got. Well, I tried to pick one from each decade, basically. That's what, what I went for. What? I'm confused. I, I, I tried to pick one year from each decade. To, right. To, to nominate. Got you. I didn't do a 70s one because I felt like metal own, you know, there was a lot of great stuff happening in that decade, but it would basically just be uh, whatever year Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath came out because of Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Cause my Go on. I bet one. we've picked the same year for one of them. I only picked one year. I didn't realise we could do multiple years. Did you years. pick 94 as well or not? No, I didn't. Okay. Because I thought we could only have one year for some reason. I just restricted myself to one single year. That's fine. Well, I picked 1980 from the 80s because it was the year that gave us Iron Maiden and Blizzard of Oz and Ace of Spades and Heaven and Hell and God knows how many. I mean, you could make a real argument for that being metal's greatest year ever because there were just so many classic albums that came out of that year. Um, I also put 1994, as we mentioned. Yeah, great um, year. Unbelievable year. Burn My Eyes by Machine Head, Marilyn Manson's debut, Korn's debut, In Flames' debut, um, Emperor, uh, God Almighty. So much good stuff came out that year. Um, and then for the 2000s, I put the year 2000. So did I. Hooray! I knew we were going to match up on that one. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Hybrid Theory, Hollywood. I mean, in the year 2000, Hybrid Theory, Hollywood and Chocolate Starfish and Hot Dog Flavored Water all came out within about three weeks of each other or something. It's just ridiculous. We also had The Sickness from Disturbed. Sure. Metanom from Perfect Circle. These are just sure. my personal favorites. Yep. Deftones, White Pony. Yeah, I thought you might say that. Soulfly Primitive. Massive. And did you say hybrid theory? Probably I said hybrid did. theory. Yeah. Um, Brave New World, my favourite Iron Maiden album, came out that year as well. Absolutely unbelievable. Uh, yeah, just just a fucking world class. Infest by Papa Roach, that just popped oh, into my I head. Oh, I just completely forgot about yeah, that. that came out Loved that it year. so much. So, so much good stuff. What came a great out that year. year. Um, so yeah, there you go. Oh, oh no, and I, w- I tried to pick one for the 2010s, but uh, I, I was torn between a few of them, you know, because... I feel like there's a few different years that have come that had. I feel like you would pick a ghost releases. year because you really love ghosts. One of my years was a ghost year, and I did think about 2018 because that had um, uh, Firepower by Judas Priest and uh, Prequel by Ghost. And I, I, I was trying to think of other recent years where you had two absolute classic albums come out in the same year. I've got a really bad memory and I can't remember any of my favourite albums well, from lucky the last for you, 10 years. I've got them all here. Have you? <laughs> so yeah, I was looking at re- I was looking at this deck. Ooh, last decade now. Bloody hell. I was looking at last oh, decade scary. For, uh, for great albums. And 2017 was right up there. You had Mastodon, Emperor of Sands, Merkir, Maradit. Uh, Code Orange Forever Zealand Devil is Fine While She Sleeps You Are We uh, Manson Put Heaven Upside Down That uh, Yeah you love that one Don't you Al? Do yeah um, Employed to Serve Warmth of a Dying Sun Yeah loads of good shit That year um, But then in 2016 You had Gajira Magma Architects All Our Gods Have Abandoned Us uh, Let Live If I'm the Devil Dillinger Put Their Last Album Out That Year Corn Put A Great Album Out, last, uh, great album out That Year um, Metallica Put A Great Album Out That Year Devin did as well. Testament, Deftones, Killswitch, loads of good shit out that year. Avenged put the stage out. Maybe it's 2016, actually. It's a good year. All Oathbreaker, those things are good. Buried Tomorrow. Yeah. King 810 had their second album out that year. That was great stuff. The Oceans of Slumber album came out that year. Yeah. But then in 2015, you had The Book of Souls. You had that Faith No More album that everyone liked. Psychic Warfare by Clutch. Meliora by Ghost. The Pale Emperor came out that year. Mm. Um, Aya by Parkway Drive came out that year. Oh, Brainwashed really by While She Sleeps came out that year. Oh my goodness. All this is making me want to do is just like cancel my plans for the next three weeks and just listen to I everything know. <laughs> it's, on it, those lists. Like people that kind of say, oh, you know, we don't have like classic albums or like great years for music anymore. You just take a look at those lists of albums I've read. And those are just from the last kind of within the last five years. Just ridiculous. Bloody ridiculous. What else have we got here? 2010 was quite good from what I remember. 2010 had the first Gavella Attack album, classic. Final Frontier, great album. Diamond Eyes, my second favourite Deftones album. Deep Blue, great album. There Is A Hell by Bring Me, great album. Nightmare by Avenged, great album. Fuck. 2010's ruled, man. Yeah. But they're dead now. Forget about it. Oh. <laughs> we have to make new memories in this new time. Let's do it. Um... Well, that this was is, a nice trip down memory lane. This is another nostalgic question. Ross McLeod asks, which side project or short-lived group would you like to see do another album? 
And he says, personally, I'd love another Primal Rock Rebellion record. That was so would I, Adrian Ross. Smith from Iron Maiden and Mikey from Sixth, of course. Did you I like that album? I loved that album. Oh, really? I loved it, loved That's it, cool. loved it. It was just great. It just was I mean, really catchy. By the way um, you're saying about it, it makes it sound like your favourite album to have an Iron Maiden member on it. Because <laughs> I've never heard you say that about a Maiden album before. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> Think about that. Oh, I just loved it. It was great. It was loads of things I like about me. I love melodic, catchy stuff and it was all like that. But then obviously Mikey brings his sort of unique vocal style to it and the quirkiness to it. And I just thought it was brilliant. I just loved the mashup of those two personalities together. And I thought every song on the record was just really melodic and catchy and great. I loved it was it. just so random, wasn't it? Like when that was happening, I was like, sorry, who and who? How have they even met each other? It was you know pretty I mean? random, yeah. I did the interview for Metal Hammer as well. And uh, it was, yeah, it was really interesting to hear about the mutual respect that these two people have. To hear Adrian Smith talking about Sixth and then Mikey talking about Maiden, where you just think, how are these two things connected? It was really cool. And yeah, they came out with an album that a lot of people really enjoyed. I think I might have interviewed them for Bizarre, but I don't really remember. Really? And also I wouldn't have really known anything about Iron Maiden, so I probably wouldn't have asked about that. <laughs> Starts about sick. <laughs> Probably. You're I don't also really a remember. It was a long time fans. ago. Um, I just thought the music was And good. kind of local to me as well. Local to you? Shout out Home County's bands. Yeah. Okay. From, from like I think they're from Chesham or something. I don't know any of the places Oregon. in the south of England apart from London. So, well, sorry. They were one of ours anyway. I'm having it. Even though I left about a 40 minute drive away. Um, yeah i would really love it if they got back and did some more stuff together i just thought it was a great record and it was just this one-off thing like you said some something a little bit expect unexpected um i thought it worked really well do you have any other uh side projects super groups yeah i mean mine are really obvious like kill and be killed that oh, record yeah. was out in 2014 that, that good. Good. loved it that song wings of feather and wax that was amazing just thought it was a great lineup of people and again it sort of had that same vibe to me as primal rock rebellion in the sense that it's a group of musicians who just are having a good time making some really catchy fun music to listen to really enjoyed that and the big one tapeworm i'd love to see the tapeworm music obviously that was that trent's thing yeah, yeah. it's a side project um that we didn't ever really get to hear because they didn't think the music was good enough or something so never really put it out although some of it emerged on um maynard's music but yeah if you look at the list of contributors there was phil anselmo charlie clauser who's from night nails josh freese uh paige hamilton from helmet maynard james keenan danny loner um trent resner atticus ross tommy victor and it's all just the sort of music and the sort of people that i really like um and yeah you can hear i'm just trying to think of which song it is now it's one of the perfect circle songs um, that was one of the reworked ones. I remember that. We did a little thing on it, didn't we, in the magazine? Yeah, I just got a bad memory. You um, can read all can... about it in a previous <laughs> issue of Metal Hammer. Digger's... Previously in Metal Hammer. Yeah, basically, <laughs> previously in Metal Hammer. That's it. Uh, passive. Was it Passive? Go and dig around on the internet and you can find all sorts of stuff about it. Yeah. But Do the know, research just... that we couldn't be bothered to do. <laughs> I've just got a bad memory, Merlin. <laughs> um, yeah. I just think that some of those songs were probably really good and we just will have heard little bits and pieces come out in other bands, but it, I'd love to just have like a whole record. That would be great. Cool. Uh, oh, there's to tons, it. isn't there? Like tons of things. Yeah, I've got a few things. I mean, I thought it would be um, Zach, Zach Wilde doing another proper Pride and Glory project would be cool. Um, uh, I've actually written, if it counts as a project, um, Bruce Dickinson doing another solo album because I thought Tyranny of Souls was great. Um, Chemical Wedding I think is the other really good one of his uh, I would genuinely be interested to see what Bruce Dickinson's solo album would sound like um, obviously Steve Harris is out doing British Lion at the moment um, so it'll be, yeah I'd like to see Bruce dip back into those waters as well um, Murder Dolls was an obvious one that really comes to mind I'd love to hear another Murder Marvel's Dolls, album Murder Dolls Murder Dolls fucking great band <laughs> that first, I mean the second album was alright the first one is a classic and I think that would just be a really good laugh to hear them doing that again although it is probably worth saying wednesday 13 is doing very similar things very very well at the moment as well um if it counts again it doesn't count but i'd i'd love to hear corn try to do another maybe not dubstep album because dubstep feels a bit of its time at the moment but to do something really electronically 
uh, different and kind of in the dance music realm that when he feels to- like a sidestep because that album was not really billed as like a side project or a kind of thingy. It was the new Corn album. Yeah, it was totally. just the sound again. But now it kind of feels like because they've re-embraced a lot of their older stuff again, it sounds like that's just kind of been... It's like, oh, do you remember when Corn did that thing once? That was kind of funny. But that album's fucking great. I talked to Jonathan at Download a couple of years back around his solo material and he was saying that he has lots of stuff he's recorded over the years that has a lot of experimental... Um, an experimental element to it and you can obviously hear that in some of his solo material for his actual record but he said there's tons of stuff he's never put out as well and that he does obviously keep on top of the trends especially with having young sons and that when he sometimes takes stuff to corn um they kind of want to do like the more old school traditional stuff and he doesn't want to take that away from them and that's what corn are but he obviously has this inclination to sort of push out and see these other areas so Mm. it would be super interesting to just kind of hear what direction he might take some of the existing songs in or what ideas he's had that haven't really materialized. Cause I bet there's like a, not an actual vault with like a, you know, a code that you have to open that has it all in, but it's going to be like, you know what? I still think of it like that when people say like, we've got songs, (laughs) what you just think there's like, you know, guarded by like, like, Definitely. Dog statues that come to life or something if you touch the vault. I would love that. In John and the Davis's <laughs> house, there's just a massive like vault and it's probably like uh, Vanta black in colour. Yeah. And it, you have to have like, uh, it's like 666 pin code to enter it or something. I mean, that would be a terrible pin code. <laughs> Also, you vote you try first. It's, I don't know. It doesn't really suit Jonathan Davis either. He's not really like much of a six 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 type person. No, he'd probably say some, probably be something else, but some other significant date, and he'd get inside it, and it just have these like crazy, crazy like I don't know CDs or tapes or something. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd definitely like to hear that. I mean, I'd, it'd be cool because that was a I think the Skrillex collabs are what. They're the my most favorite famous, ones. Famous on They're there, brilliant. But there's a lot of other stuff on there as well. I mean, God, I'd love to hear what they would do if they they hooked up with Liam Howlett from the Prodigy. Obviously, Prodigy's current uh, career, no one really knows what's going to happen after Keith. But um, I'd love to hear what, what what like Liam's big beat would bring to a corn yeah. sound or something like that. There's loads of potential for a band like that. Talking of like favorite decades, that song with Skrillex. Well, I know they did too, but on the record, but Narcissistic Cannibal. That was like my song, like. One of my favourite songs track. of that decade, like the way came the, out in two thousand eleven. The way the beat comes into that song is just fucking. Is it really two thousand eleven? That yeah. album. Oh but my god! But I just god. love that song so much. Like, and that album is where yeah. a lot of people were a bit revisionist with Corn, and they're all like, "Oh, they got good live again when Head came back into the band." But actually, that album cycle was when they fucking started slamming it live again after pissing about with like people in bunny masks and all that weird stuff. When they did that dubstep album. They were so good live on that um, on that uh, tour cycle, um, and that brought them forward as well. I love corn, Merlin. I love corn too. I also wrote um, in terms of projects and groups coming back. I wrote down with a question mark mm. <laughs> because I was kind of thinking, oh, if they, if Dan got back together and did a really fucking awesome killer heavy metal record. Could I, would I be, would I want to listen to it again after all this bullshit with Phil? I don't know. If I'm being totally honest, Down's music stirs more of an emotional reaction in me, just purely on musical levels, than Pantera's did. Um, but Phil's been such a wally, so you know to put I'd, it lightly. Do you know what I'd like to hear, Merlin? What? I'd like to hear Tony Iommi and Glenn Hughes back together again. Really? Yes. Interesting. I, I would, really I like that record. That. I mean, Tony Iommi doing absolutely anything gets my vote. So They had that record out that. in 2005 called Fused. And that opening track is amazing. Dopamine. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. It's like got that groove. That was terrible, but it sounds like a bit like that. And then like the vocals is just all like that kind of, you know, really like glossily produced rock vocal um that makes you feel like you're kind of soaring away that you could just like crank up in the car on a big like american road and you'd be like i'm so happy (laughs) maybe that's just me no i back it i back it and that song grace as well love that song grace wanna live in grace like his voice just sounds great on it like that combination of tony iomi just like being a riff lord and glenn just having these like really shiny vocals 
and it's sounding contemporary as well. I mean, yeah. like... I mean, they've worked with, with each other enough times over the years to just have that natural chemistry. I just really love it. And it came out in 2005, but they could easily release that now, I think. It doesn't sound, like, dated. It, yeah, sound, yeah, it yeah, sounds definitely. like one of those sort of timeless collaborations that just is of the sort of rock and roll slash metal genre that doesn't, you know, it's not... It doesn't sound like the past and it doesn't sound like the future. It just sounds good. Yeah. Just getting excited looking at the track listing again. I love that. <laughs> love that record. I thought you would say um, Probot as well. Because you've mentioned that before. Probot? Yeah. Dave Grohl's thing? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought that was all right. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was... I thought, I thought the project was cool as fuck. I thought a lot of the music on there was one of those things where it sounded like bands doing stuff that wasn't quite as cool as their actual their actual stuff do you know what i mean yeah kind of like it, when slash did that album with loads of people on it i was like yeah this sounds like an all right aussie track or like the roadrunner united ones as well like i didn't yeah. love them like i thought i would given the it was like if you get all those people involved what's the expression about being great in the sum of your parts or something i don't know greater than the sum of your parts <laughs> <laughs> I didn't feel like it was greater than some of its parts. Yeah. I just felt like the people all involved were really talented and amazing totally. people, but it doesn't always work out. That is the curse. I feel of like the I might group. have just misused that phrase because it's very hot in here. <laughs> <laughs> um, Andy Paul asks, how, how important are streaming numbers in metal? Unlike a lot of more popular genres like pop, R&B, etc., it's fair to say niche genres have a fan base more likely to buy physical media. So while they may stream once... So they while they may stream once to get a feel for the album or band, it's likely metal fans will then buy the CD record, etc., and thus cut down on streaming numbers. The exception to this, possi to this is possibly the huge metal bands who appeal to the mainstream Metallica, Slipknot, etc. Thoughts? That's a long question. What how are your important? thoughts on streaming in metal, basically? How important are streaming numbers in metal? Well, there have been a couple of surveys over the last couple of years that have said metal is the fastest growing genre on streaming services. But those surveys tend to be commissioned by, you know, publishing, distribution, streaming type companies. So it's difficult to really know exactly what is going on because there isn't really... I haven't seen any independent data on that, though. It may well be out there. And please tell us if you have that. Um, so there's definitely... Um, there's definitely large numbers of people who are streaming metal, obviously not on the same scale as like commercial pop music but um it's a thing it's not like there's no metal fans who are streaming music but i totally get the point about physical media because we do have a really dedicated audience that are more likely to buy and prioritize physical media because this is a scene that we all love and we all support and we're all excited about and we're into and we want to um, have that in our lives it's not like a fleeting song that you just hear some time and you kind of listen to it a few times and forget about it it's a lot more than that to us so I don't know it's a funny one I think I think things are still sort of um working themselves out when it comes to streaming and uh, it's I think in the past few years like the uptake on streaming and people actually subscribing to services um has really come to the fore and it's a genuine thing now whereas I think if you go back five years people were still a bit like oh yeah some people stream some people don't like now you kind of talk to people and the majority of people will have a subscription um you know and a lot of those will be paid for mm. because they don't want to have adverts and so on so how important are streaming numbers we always look at streaming numbers I think when we're like looking at what bands are doing um and I think that I think you know there are people who buy physical media and the people who stream and there's a lot of people who do both who stream the records because it's easier but want to buy the physical yeah, records totally. to support the band or to have an artifact that reminds them of that band yeah totally. no I, I agree with all of that um i what i on one side it's really good and it's vitally important that metal metal fans do support um physical media obviously we work in a physical medium with the magazine yeah totally. and the fact that we're still not just still here but had a really really strong year last year shows that you know if you build something in a way that feels important to people and feels in keeping with what they expect from a certain product sorry to use that word um you know people will still be interested in it and um i think we all know as a community that the best way to support your artists that you love is to spend money on them. Totally, <laughs> There's just no yeah. other substitute for that. That said, um, I do think metal has a real problem in not adapting to streaming culture. And I think that um, 
it's a little bit worrying that metal and well just rock music really is so out of the loop that it's just not even in the same stratosphere as some of these big artists we're talking about you know if you look at um i mean hip-hop's always the really obvious comparison because hip-hop was a niche genre and hip-hop was an underground genre that meant that went mainstream in exactly the same way metal did mm. and at the turn of the millennium the late 90s early 2000s you had rock bands whether you think Linkin Park and the rest of them are proper metal bands or not um you had rock bands and hip-hop bands both doing crazy numbers selling shitloads of albums and I think that's only a good thing for the scene when that's happening um since then it feels like hip-hop has really adapted to streaming in a big way and you can see that from the fact that artists like Kendrick Lamar um, are still a fucking absolutely massive. Um, but it also feeds back into the scene again where you see hip-hop festivals that have a really good mix of bigger established names, but also actually more predominantly really modern names that have only come up in the last 10 years or so. And I think that all feeds into the same thing about how the scenes are adapting. And I'm not sure if metal is adapting in quite the right way. Um, so I don't know what my point is there really I would like physical media to st and you know things like merchandise to still be the main thing that uh, we continue to grow because that's the main thing that bands will get you know money from which is what we want we want bands to earn money we want bands to make a living but I think it would be good if um, we can utilise streaming a bit better to expose bands more and get that foot inside the I don't want to say the mainstream, but just that foot inside the public consciousness a bit more so that, again, we have bands being seen I more, heard uh, more. I guess that's the thing, actually, because with this question, Andy's saying how important are streaming numbers in metal? And there isn't a thing in the question that's like, for what? You know, like, how important are streaming yeah, numbers in yeah, metal? Yeah, for yeah. what? And it seems to be the implication, correct if I'm wrong, Andy, it seems to be the implication that, um, as you said or alluded to, if the streaming numbers are metal aren't particularly high then the wider world looks at those and can be dismissive of metal whereas in actual fact there are people in metal going out and uh, buying gig tickets buying merchandise uh, buying the physical media and not necessarily streaming so from an outsider's perspective it might look like the scene isn't as uh, big or as passionate as it actually is so if that is the point then um, I agree with you in the fact that perhaps we could do a little bit of catching up to get to that point where an outsider can look at it and say oh actually this is something that you know is a serious prospect and that metal can be more championed than in the mainstream and given a bigger platform and all the rest of it but um yeah now i've lost my point it's, Stream, it's, it's a very good. layered Physical point media is good. that's why we, that's why we keep uh, <laughs> that's why we keep losing our points because it's a very layered issue you don't want to just copy and you know, imitate everything else that's going on, but also there's a reason these bands are successful. I would love to see a metal band internationally massive um, in the way that someone like Kendrick is, you know, mm. just, uh, and again, it's not that we don't have those bands, but this they don't quite feel in this public consciousness in the same way. And there's no reason they shouldn't be. There's absolutely no reason they shouldn't be. Let's do the next question. Something a bit less deep. But we can talk about that forever, can we? Yeah. Uh, Daniel Sabota asks... What's the greatest black metal band and why is it Emperor? Can't stop listening to them. God damn it. Probably back that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> objectively speaking, you can't get, you know, a higher... I just completely lost words. Objectively speaking, Emperor are the best me black metal band. Like, as in, in terms of like with. reputation, music, influence, uh, the bigness of the name. <laughs> It's past five o'clock. Last time my vocabulary. <laughs> it's past halfway through the week. Elle's brain's leaking. We're on deadline. No, I know, yeah, I, I, th I think I think Daniel's made a down. fine. If you're if you're making just, serious, um, if you're having a serious debate about the greatest black metal bands of all time, Emperor are like probably the first name that will come to mind. You could question. throw a, you could throw Immortal in there. You could throw Dark Tone in there. There's there's lot. I mean, there's a fuck ton of. First, second, third, fifteenth wave bands that you could do. Do you have a favourite black metal band, personally? Uh, 
Because mine would probably be something not quite as critically cool, like Wolves say, in the Throne Room or something. I was going to say, where like, I gravitate to I would probably say Satyricon, but there's lots of people. A satyricon, who, of course. But there's yeah. people who would just say, oh, it's not like proper black metal. Oh, it is. Come on. So, uh, Watain, of course, are probably the modern standard bearers. Um, but yeah, I'm, uh, if, you, if I did a list of my favorite black metal albums, a lot of them would probably be US based. Uh, post black metal More contemporary. Stuff. Yeah. Jonathan and Alice would bitch slap us in this conversation we did actually have a few people asking where Alice <laughs> has been recently um, don't worry she's not gone anywhere well she has gone somewhere she's been away uh, surfing the seven seas um, uh, on the 70,000 tons metal cruise so she could be back soon to talk all about that do you surf uh, the seven very much seas surfing them she's not sailing nor we <laughs> surfing them it's yeah, she's, she's been having a great time. Yeah. So having cocktails, metal cocktails. But yeah, uh, she'll be back to talk all about that soon. And yeah, we're going to have Jonathan back in very soon as well. We had a question last week, didn't we? Um, about what metal band you'd play to someone who never heard metal before. And I feel like... It if wouldn't you, be Emperor. <laughs> no, but I feel like if you had the thing of what album would you play to someone who never heard black metal, you would probably pick like In the Nightside Eclipse or something, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, so, definitely. Or maybe I'd, if I'd start them maybe a bit softer on like some Dimi Borgia or something like that. In Sorte Diaboli or something. Something that's still got a little bit of the leftover stuff in there. I don't know. I think you just have to hit them with the big one. Yeah. If you don't like this, <laughs> fuck off. Basically. Um, yeah. Got a couple of questions about Michael Michael Romance, which is interesting. Oh, my favourite band. Ben, <laughs> get over it. <laughs> ben Wilmot asks, if you were MCR's... To- blah, 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 let me start that again. Ben asks, if you were My Chemical Romance's promotion or touring manager... Where would you book them to play in the UK? Reading and Leeds has moved away from rock and metal somewhat. Uh, oh, God. And then he's put in brackets, an 18-year-old would have been four years old when Welcome to the Black Parade came out. Oh, good. That's, That's nice to hear. But the summer's already pretty busy with Knotfest and Ramstein shows. What would work best for them? Well, we, the, we said earlier there's rumours about an MK Bowl show, which, again, I don't know anything of. But yeah, and I think I we read talked, something about that on Twitter. I think we talked like the other week and you mentioned maybe something like all points east if there's like a sort of rockier day yeah. if that festival's coming back i don't know i've not heard about this i mean yet. that would be a swerve wouldn't it if they pulled michael mccormack out of the bag never know you know you never know but that would feel really like holy shit really if they did that i feel like it has to be at a festival or a large venue yeah um, it's got to be a like, big deal i feel like it wouldn't i feel like it's more likely it would be one big show rather than a tour I feel like it would be like a big event show in a capital city. Yeah, that that could work as well. Um, like, I mean, if know, I was like dream booking them or something, is that mad? Because it's massive. How many people is that? I, I was just thinking, it's like sixty thousand. I think. I don't know if that's bigger or so, smaller. Like, I feel like that's bigger arena, than Milton Keynes Bowl. But like, but... yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, if I was dream booking them, I would probably book. I would book them for. a I'll probably put them for something like Download purely because Download is a proper rock festival. The people that go there are rock fans and My Chemical Romance are the kind of headliner that feel a little bit different from maybe what we're used to seeing at Downloads. I know they've headlined before, but um, it's been a while since any band under that kind of banner has played that high up the bill. Um, and I think you could build a really cool lineup around it. Um, but again, you know, it's interesting times out there at the moment. I wouldn't blame them if they if they wanted to go and do their own thing as well, which, as Ben suggested, might be more likely because uh, summer's filling up. There's not many places for them to play now. So no, doing a massive comeback. I kind of feel like they've got the pick of whatever they want to do. Yeah, totally. Like people are just really excited for it, and you can really capitalize on that excitement for a comeback. And I'm sure they want to do it right as well. You know, they want to do it in a way that makes sense for them. So wouldn't blame them for taking some time to work out what that is yeah totes um another my my chemical romance question elliot holt asks if and when my chem start playing shows more frequently and release new music are metal hammer likely to cover them extensively in the magazine or are they less relevant to the magazine's immediate interests in 2020 i'm going to ask our deputy editor and, and main person who commissions features uh in the mag and who hates my chemical romance thoughts so. <laughs> Thanks, Merlin. I don't know. It's a really hard one, isn't it? I think um, by the volume of questions we're getting about My Chemical Romance, there's obviously a huge amount of people out there in our world who still really care about what they're doing. Um, Having said that, they're not 
metal metal in the sense of a lot of the bands we cover in the magazine so i think kind of keep that open for now and see what they do i think a lot of people know or maybe a lot of people don't really know that metal hammer were one of if not the first uk magazine to put my chemical romance on the cover and you know when we grew up reading metal hammer and other magazines that are out there and available um <laughs> you know you would pretty it was pretty much um an identical uh pot of bands that both mags would pick from to put on the cover um so the the scenes changed a lot and the industry's changed a lot and i think with metal hammer but the way i feel about it personally is that i think my chemical romance are an incredible um force for music um alternative music at least uh over the past two decades they're a vitally important band for the growth of the emo scene and the kind of goth punk scene um there were so many people's uh, gateway into heavy music and their legacy still stands very tall, as you can see with how many people are excited about them being back. I don't think they really need us to jump on the bandwagon as well. And I kind of feel like um, if we go big on a band like My Chemical Romance, that's going to have to... When you do 13 issues of Metal Hammer a year, if you put something on the cover or you go big or something, it has to come at the cost of something else. And I think it would be a bit unfair for us to suddenly give, you know, proper, not proper metal bands, but bands that definitely fall under our umbrella a chance because we want to just suddenly go back to covering this band that we haven't done a single thing on for years and years and years and years. I don't really feel like they fit with where we're at now. And I feel like um, if you pick up Metal Hammer, it's because you're part of a, a very particular community. And while a big number of that community definitely likes My Chemical Romance, there's probably a larger part of that community that would rather see us do more stuff on metal bands and on bands that actually fall under our banner as we have it in 2020. I feel like you can never say never because you never know what a band's going to do. Obviously, Merlin, you are the True. editor. But, you know, what if they came back and decided to do some kind of collaboration with metal bands or did some kind of event, like a NotFest type event with metal bands in it like you never yep, really totally. know you never really know what's going to happen totally. like i obviously agree with everything you said and like you, you pointed out they're not my favorite band um that's the other but problem you just never to be, know what's going to happen in future do you yeah you totally but the thing is we, we're joking about it but to be totally transparent um you know no one on metal hammer at all from top to bottom is a big my chemical romance fan and don't get me wrong that does not dictate what we put in the magazine yeah, it's not, not just about what we all like but you know normally a mag's staff is quite reflective of the readership and if we're all kind of sitting here not that falling over ourselves about the reunion it probably does say something about where Mount Hammer has shifted over the years um but you know if people keep on asking us why aren't we doing stuff on my camera maybe we'll have to think about it so I'm sure this won't be the last time we talk about them anyway <laughs> <Let's> <laughs> tell us way. what you think do you like them or do you hate them yeah exactly exactly here's another polarizing question from Scott <laughs> Temple. Very important one. Are you ready? Scott asks, are you a dog or a cat person? I know your answer. My answer is, yeah. My answer is pretty simple. I am a dog person. However, I have grown to love cats very much in recent years. <laughs> um, not just because my missus has two cats and they are very sweet, um, but also because there's a little cat that keeps coming to visit me near my house. Adorable. Adorable. She's lovely. I've called her Fluff Lad and she comes and hangs out with me quite a lot. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've had cats as well. I like cats a lot. I just think you can't, you can't beat a dog. Well, being as we are the yin and the yang of Metal Hammer, I'm going to say cats. Are you? Yes. Mm. I've never had a dog or had anything to do with dogs. And I do think they're cute. Like when dog pictures come up online, I'm the same as everyone else. I'm like, oh, it's a dog. And if a dog comes in the office, it's very exciting. But I grew up with a cat and I just think cats are more, I don't know. I just they just sort of sort themselves out but they're sort of but they're but they're also fun like you can have a cat sit in your lap and like purr and be pretty chill or you can have a cat going like mad and having a mad half hour um and i don't know they're just a bit sort of like cats are definitely more mellow, independent they? and e they're sort of more independent and still have a lot of personality and still can give you love even if they might eat your body when you die which is a thing <laughs> that happens um whereas dogs you have to invest like a i'm not saying you shouldn't obviously it's a great thing you have to invest a huge amount of hours and sometimes they're just not very chill whereas cats tend to be a bit more chill yeah. i don't know i think just because i grew up with a cat i've just and dogs when i was a kid i found a bit scary maybe it's just that well dogs uh i mean a dog should be pretty chill if someone knows how to look after them i think a lot <laughs> i think the problem with dogs is 
people don't quite realise how much work they are. Not to get on my random box about dogs on a metal podcast, but I kind of feel like dogs get a bit of a hard time sometimes because people see a dog being crazy and they're like, oh, dogs are crazy. It's like, yeah. well, no, that owner just probably doesn't fucking know what to do. I think I was dog. getting more into dogs a few years ago and a lot of my friends started getting them, but then I went around to a friend's house and I was just sitting there minding my own business and it wasn't even my friend's dog. It was like another girl who was over she had this chihuahua and it jumped on my lap and stuck its tongue in my mouth and i was like i'm not into this yeah no whereas cats that. won't really do that no as much they'll that. just kind of like mind their own business but if i'm anything person it probably a house rabbit person i really want a oh, house God. i really want a house How rabbit boring. i really want a house rabbit they don't do anything they, they... shit and eat uh, well, a worm does that that's what you do i do more than that Al. <laughs> <laughs> do a lot more than that. Don't you bring me down. <laughs> I just think house rabbits are so cute. They're just really big and fluffy and you can like train them to they just have like no personality. And stuff. Yeah, they do. Two of my mates just got house rabbits and they, from what I understand, they've both done nothing for like fucking two months. They just hang out with you. Yeah, but they don't even want to be picked up. Yeah, I know. You have to respect their space. <laughs> God. No, not having it. Rubbish. Snake. Rabbits are rubbish. Snakes are cool. I like snakes. Yeah, me too. I'm quite into snakes. Yeah, me too. I, w- I probably wouldn't have one because um, I think it's a bit dubious about how okay it is to have them as pets sometimes. Tell that to Kerry King. Uh, I ain't telling shit to Kerry King. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, snakes are cool. I'm into snakes. Anyway. And if you do have a snake, I'm not slagging you off. I'm just saying for my personal space I have and all the rest of it, I don't think I could have a reptile in my house. I don't think it would work. Anyway, you're yeah. a dog person. I'm a cat person. Let's just try to get along. <laughs> uh, Ian White asks, do you know if SNM 2 will be released on DVD and record? I presume it will. I'll be shocked if it isn't. Um, you know, very few big bands don't uh, take advantage of the opportunity to release live DVDs and stuff when they've been touring. Metallica have released a fuck ton in their time. Um, and SNM 2, as far as I'm concerned, was the most brilliant thing they've done in years so i'll be shocked and disappointed if they don't release it and having seen the film um it looks absolutely fucking great i was gonna say they well. showed it at cinemas right so it has to be on the cards for a release yeah yeah we know it was recorded i'm sure it'll be out at some point i hope it will be um you know we'll, we'll have to wait and see but um if it does come out for god's sake pick it up and get it because it was so good that is it for this week's podcast. That is um, the end. We have a special guest next week, Elle. <gasps> and it's a banger of a guest. Uh, one of our current cover stars, no less. Mr. Winston McCall from Parkway Drive will be joining us on the, the podcast next week. So get your questions into him. We'll be pitching your questions to the man himself. Go to facebook.com slash readers to join in and ask us some questions for Winst. Um, but in the meantime, have a lovely week and we'll see you then. Goodbye, I'm everybody. i ask if he likes being called Winst. <laughs> Well, if he doesn't, tough titties, because it just happened. (laughs) See you later, everybody. See you.